0: your friend Sally does a thing and then tells your other friend Kim about how it worked. And then they tell me that I should do this thing for my MS because it worked for their cousin's cat. The act of engaging in these practices that feel like this is, you know, this is going to be the thing that's going to make me feel better. For a lot of humans it does, but it's just transient because it's it's not, it's not actually about the food. (laughs)
1: Hello, my name is Dr. Joshua Walrich and welcome to my podcast, Willing to be Wrong. For those of you who may have just stumbled across this and don't really know me, I'm an NHS doctor, Sunday Times bestselling author, still feels super weird to say that, an unintended influencer, currently on a year out from the hospital to study through nutrition masters. Now, until I get a sponsor for this podcast, I'm going to keep plugging my book, or at least that's the current excuse. If you fancy reading what is essentially my campaign to push back not only against the pervasive nonsense that food can cure you if you just find the right diet, but also the lie that our weight defines our health, I can unashamedly recommend my debut book, Food Isn't Medicine. But today, I'm incredibly excited to introduce you to my guest for this episode, Anna Sweeney. Anna is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and intuitive eating counsellor who practises from a health every size, social justice forward lens. She is, in her own words, a full-time disabled person with MS and is absolutely one of my favourite people to follow and learn from on social media. In this episode, Anna talks about some of the impact diet culture has had on her whilst living with MS, including some of the nonsense that goes around such as the walls protocols that are often sold as a supposed cure. She also talks about her work with eating disorders and why we urgently need to stop attributing them to a certain body size. Anna, hello. Hi Josh. <laughs> I've had a fun day.
0: You've had a big day.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, for those, I mean obviously I record these and I don't know when this one's specifically coming out but, um, but today has been Daily Mail releasing before and after photos of me day which is, which is fun um and and actually interesting because i think at some point we might well talk about um my previous uh let's call it a previous account i mean it's the same account but what i used to talk about on instagram because um what i only found out recently that you used to follow me back then as well which is which is interesting because there aren't too many professionals who are as uh, as clued up as you are, who would who chose to follow me back then, <laughs> which is which is nice. So maybe that's uh, that. Maybe I can start with that. Why did you why did you follow me back then? As somebody who is an eating disorder professional, who who clearly saw the problematic nature of some of the stuff I was talking about, why why why?
0: Um. So I I believe that I found you after you shared something that I had posted, um, and. I was really interested in watching what I believe was kind of the beginning of your evolution away from the, and perhaps not the beginning, maybe it was more of like the end of the evolution of your transition away from unfattening to your current internet persona. Um, And Mm -hmm. it is not often that humans are so forthright about the things that they learn and the things that they have, you know, perhaps done with less tact. Um, And then, and then shown like the ways that they have evolved and grown. And I think you do a really, and have done a really wonderful job of sharing your like public evolution. Um, So I, probably if instagram stalked you a little bit and was interested in the things that you were saying but mostly um neutral really like that is kind of really perfect for a lot of the work that i a lot of the work that i do so yeah it was not hard for me to um and again, at the time that I, I found you, you were already speaking with more curiosity um, and shifting your language.
1: Okay, well, let's move on, though, because compliments make me uncomfortable. And I wasn't asking you that question because I expected you to be well, really just nice the answer. about answer. No, I know. I know. But you know, like the 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 point of the podcast is not talk about me. Um, because <laughs> um, now, no, it's mainly just because I'm uncomfortable because I don't take compliments well, because it's true. I, you know, We're I learning. grew up wanting, wanting compliments and never getting them. Hmm. So you know, um, that's a whole nother podcast. Although because otherwise, I'd probably have to pay you. Um, so <laughs> for people that don't know you, I have introduced you briefly in a in a in in a spiel that I will record when you're not there so it doesn't make oh. you feel awkward. Um but can you kind of Because I think you're super interesting and not like in a weird way like, ooh, interesting person. Let's just invite her on. Mm. But I I I do. I think you are and I think you are you're not, if I'm allowed to say this, you're not the stereotypical thin white dietitian woman.
0: I, I am and I'm not.
1: <laughs> you are but in a different Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think uh, and be- because and it, this is just a fact, like it's overwhelmingly populated with with that demographic within the nutrition space. Full stop. Um, for those who are just listening to the audio, Anna's waving, so she agrees with me on that one. Um, but uh, but you also have MS, and you also have lots of photos of you in a wheelchair, and um, that side of things is really interesting because you have a whole new. Um, understanding of the way that ableism and privilege plays into nutrition and food and and Mm -hmm. neutral which we'll talk about um but yeah can you can you for those people who have no idea who you are do you mind introducing yourself a little bit in your own words no
0: not at all hi everyone i'm anna um dietitian anna and I am an eating disorder registered dietitian. I have dedicated my life and I, I feel so fortunate to have found the thing that I believe I was you know, made to do on this planet. Um, and my work has been deeply enhanced by, uh, I would say, not so much my lived experience with MS because I was diagnosed with MS when I was 15. So I was way too young to have, I mean, there are some some pieces of it that crossover, but I was way too young to really have um, an awareness of the ways nutrition and nutrition advice would ultimately kind of come at me as a person with a chronic illness. Mm. But in the last five years, I have become uh, progressively disabled. And so I'm navigating the fact that I am, a privileged thin white conventionally attractive youngish woman um with with a microphone and i i try to kind of be really thoughtful about my many intersecting identities and i do i mean you're a thousand percent right there are conferences that i can't go to and i think because of my disability um Without knowing that I have, you know, a crew of humans who would be willing to to give me a hand. And I, I think about this in terms of, you know, memberships that I have, or letters that I have after my name that require actually attending an in-person conference. Mm. And, you know, we learned a lot in the last year that, you know, virtual conferences are possible. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, and this is a totally, this is another talk altogether. Um, but I have a lot of worries about what happens when the, you know, the world opens up again. And then I perhaps might not be physically able to attend a thing to maintain credentialing that I very much deserve and have earned.
1: Mm. See that. the the reason why and i'm gonna stop using the word interesting because i think it's just the reason why the stuff you talk about is important that's more accurate as a phrase um is because i it's not something that i like to i like to identify the privileges that i have because i think it helps me understand more about where i come from about how i discuss topics about how i talk about things and you often point out stuff in me that i would never have thought about that that i mean i think at one point there was a uh i can't remember what the hashtag was but you were doing a you were doing a thing where people were sending you views or videos of places or things that that you couldn't necessarily do and i sent you a video of just me skateboarding and it was just Mm -hmm. it was just something that i would i just just i just never never thought of that do you know what i mean and it Mm -hmm. there's so much crossover between just things that we consider as humans to be normal day-to-day things um there's so much crossover with our lack of understanding around that stuff and also our the stuff that we consider to be so easy and so normal when it comes to mm-hmm. food as well. Um mm-hmm. and so I I think the the added insights that I get from you really help me to, it just helps me to understand my privileges more and I think that's really that's really important. So I yeah, I think that's a better it's not interesting. I just I think you're important and and the stuff and the benefit it has to me is is great and so that's why i that's why i yeah does that make sense <laughs>
0: I, yeah no i i appreciate i appreciate that and inaccessible views
1: that was what it was it's yeah. still
0: going strong um I, yeah we have we're now in the 600th uh, like we're video 600 something um and they've been viewed like ten thousand times nice. it's I mean what a gift for me. I grew up in South Dakota in the most beautiful like really really beautiful part of the country and was just having none of it. Um, but I I really do miss being I miss I miss outside. I miss doing things that I you know that I absolutely took for granted and um inaccessible views has been lovely for me but to have people reach out and say it's also been helpful for them for a number of reasons has been you know a double reward Mm
1: -hmm. well can i ask you about some of that stuff then to start so in regards to um in regards to that conversation around privilege and ableism and nutrition um Instead of me trying to ask some sort of poignant question, can you can you tell us a bit about how you see the state of that? Because in my small world in the UK, it feels like there has been a bit of a shift in regards to uh, to shaming people with disabilities. It feels like that happens a lot less now. or it feels like to me, anyway. I'm happy to be wrong about that, but I'd rather I'm not in a weird way. Um, but there doesn't seem to have been, I can't see much understanding of just how, of the crossover. Um, and I just wondered how you see some of that stuff on social media and in the US. Um,
0: so with with regard to disability, um, and it's probably because of the circles that I run in, there's a lot more recognition of ableism, there's a lot more saying out loud, like categorically, Dietitians are white, thin, you know, a conventionally attractive, able-bodied people. And I read these things a lot. Um, and I, I'm not really exactly sure how to answer your question specifically in relation to n- nutrition. Um,
1: or am I asking the wrong question? So th- this, is, this is then what's interesting. Do you think that there is a link between the two? Or do you think that these are separate topics that, that just both require us to understand privileges?
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm not I think these are two separate in my in my book, these are two separate conversations. Um I am struck by the degree of elitism with which nutrition is nutrition science and nutrition recommendations are provided. Um and it is very different from I mean, in some ways it's exactly the same as how it was trained. Um and in in other ways, it is, you know, the, the just the the appeal of food now has taken a very different um, presented itself very differently. In that there is, you know, like this one way to eat that will save you and will make it so you never die, and you know will cure all of your ails, and that inherently is ableist because it implies someone has the ability to like chop their own vegetables and do all of the things um that until recently i could have done you know a lot of a lot of them um but and i'm not i'm not even sure that i'm answering your question i'm kind of just driveling no, right it's now interesting <laughs> uh, but it's I mean, we just we have a long we have a long way to go if we are actually going to serve the actual masses. And that's why I'm actually really excited about your tragic daily mail experience <laughs> because, I mean, tragedy or not, you will get people to actually find you with information to support them in making, decisions that will actually, uh, you know, support health promotion, Mm -hmm. not, and again, I know you're not good with compliments, but um, just like fear mongering and weight stigma, that that might be the thing that gets people to click on it and buy the book, which is fantastic. And then they buy the book and they're like, Oh, shit, this is not what I thought I was buying. But I'm so grateful to be reading this.
1: okay (laughs) no i i do i agree but actually and i think interesting that brings me that that brings us back to the to the whole unfattening conversation the the Mm -hmm. reason i struggle with that as a concept is just because it feels like using i like i don't mind finding a silver lining in something right i don't mind finding that stuff but it but it just using problematic messaging to succeed at an end goal that is otherwise um like a good goal feels, feels problematic. It feels like the wrong way to do yep. it. And it's something that I, yep. I really struggled with when it came to changing my name that I I had justified not doing it by, by saying, yeah, but it's the, the name unfattening is attracting the people who want to lose weight. And actually I'm talking about it in a different way now. And that's exactly the purpose. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm still portraying a message that even just the word unfattening implies that unfattening is a good thing or that it's something that should be aimed for or that it's that it's a concept in and of itself and so it just Mm -hmm. it's it's hard to see the silver lining when you're pissed off. So hopefully I'll see the silver lining in a week.
0: (laughs) I hope (laughs) I hope uh, you will
1: too. Yeah. Um I hope you will too. So Look, what I'm wary of because because this is and I don't want to make you all about your disability because this is not the point. And I'm wary of like going of trying to link every question to your disability, and that is a bad thing um, because you are so much more than that. Even though that is obviously mm-hmm. something that is really important about you in the way that it impacts the way you you do your practice. So I'm going to ask one more, <laughs> if I can. Sure. Um, Hit so me. my so my um, my grandma had MS. Um, she uh my my mum has epilepsy there's a neurological side of things that and my my cousin has epilepsy as well um and i thought as a kid um i thought i might have i had these weird episodes that weren't like normal but have never happened in a long time and i, I have no idea i can't even remember exactly what they were but i feel like i blanked out for a while and i went to like this weird it was almost like an absence seizure i thought it was but they've I, who knows um but so there's this neurological stuff that runs through my family. It's always been really interesting to me. Um, and I remember the occasional comments being made around food being used to to treat these conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember mm-hmm. that back as a kid. And obviously more recently, I have seen lots of it. Um, I've seen an awful <laughs> amount of it. Um, so I'm I'm intrigued as to how you deal with the amount of stuff that is thrown at you, I would imagine, a lot. Um, because I would, I would guess that a lot of people would assume that you would be immune to it because of your training. Um, just like, I think a lot of people assume that I'm immune to, to, um, uh, to, to conversations around weight loss, having an impact on my mental health because I'm like, Oh, well, he's fine now. It's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not how this works. <laughs> it's a process. Um, so I'm intrigued as to how, how you deal with that stuff, what kind of stuff you if you're happy to talk about what kind of stuff you see, what kind of stuff you're told, why you think it's important to be, to be challenging it and maybe how it impacts the way that you practice with eating disorders as well, because I'm aware that there is a big element to, well, we'll get onto the food as medicine conversation around eating disorders in a bit, but so let me ask you that first, that first bit first.
0: So I, like I said, I was diagnosed when I was 15 and I will speak to just my my privilege for a moment. I saw my first naturopath when I was 16. My mom and dad were very interested in, you know, heading this off at the pass. Um, I have a recollection of my first neurologist telling me to avoid saturated fat. And so for, I don't know, a few weeks, I modified my diet very significantly And at the time I had relapsing remitting MS and I was also 15. Mm -hmm. And so like none of the dietary protocols that were asked of me were things that I stuck with then. Um, And then I went to college and grad school and did, you know, normal college and grad school things. And I didn't really mess with food until, and this is, you know, several years down the line. And I, I, I I will speak as generally as I can um, for the sake of your listeners and my listeners too. Um, but, you know, I, I have gotten, and I, again, acknowledging privilege, I have seen a, a thousand doctors that are not neurologists. I have been tested for everything under the sun, I have been told to do all of the things that your book is written about. Um, I have been advised to listen to Mark Hyman in every single way. I like. Hmm. Every, I have been given every piece of of information. I I and I was very fortunate to be able to be. Um, self-aware enough to be curious and cautious about taking anything as gospel with regard to food. I'm really I'm privileged in that I have had a healthy relationship with food my entire life. I love to eat. I, I that is something that I'm really lucky about. Um, and as my disability changed, I you know in a moment of more desperation and it just coincided with terry walls publishing a book about how and on the cover of her book says how i healed myself of progressive ms and i have progressive ms too and so i thought i I even i brought this to my supervision group i was so anxious about doing this because being able to eat with my clients means a lot to me because I I am absolutely an all foods fit kind of human. I believe in intuitive eating conceptually, but also as a practice. And I had a moment of saying, you know, like, maybe I'm just, I'm too smart to not try this. And so I, I jumped on board and I did things with food that you know we're not intuitive eating was unenjoyable for the first time in my life and at the end of the process and I I decided that the process ended I, there was no you know moment I stopped and said like I just I can't I can't have food be this mechanical I ha- can't have food be this unpleasant and it's not in line with my values as a human. And I still have MS Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm doing all of this crazy stuff. That's not intuitive. That's not listening to my, my body at all. Um, And I will also confess. So that was many, many years ago and, you know, getting permission from my supervision group to do, you know, Anna, of course, do everything that you can. And my clients understood, of course, Anna, do everything that you can. We get that we can't eat with you right now. And what a heartbreaking realization to do everything as well as I possibly could and then come to the end of this experience knowing what I know about nutrition, knowing what I know, and having moments of saying, well, shoot, maybe I could have done this better. Maybe I could have been, you know, more compliant, more consistent and healed myself of my progressive MS. Mm. See,
1: it's that stuff that, it's that stuff that kind of scares me a little bit in terms of trying to work out how to address some of this stuff without making people who are doing it feel shit about themselves Mm. um because it's not it's not it's not your like you're not the point isn't to condemn you it's not your fault that you that you kind of necessarily bought into it or decided that you were going to do it like that but but so how how do we address this stuff with people who are because i i see it more with things like cancer Right, that's that's the stuff I see a lot online, um, and the stuff I've I've seen uh, personally as well—not personally family-wise, but personally hospital-wise, um, where people obviously because cancer can be horrific, and people can feel a loss that there's nothing else they can do, and people will go, will choose to do protocols that is that will kill them, um, uh, and addressing it is so hard because. You don't want to be the doctor who seems to uh, seems to just poo poo everything that isn't conventional medicine, right. right? Because because then you're just one of those doctors, um, and and it kind of makes you out not to have much compassion um, or understanding. But at the same time, I can't just sit there and not say anything. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have an answer for me, but but like, is there a way? Are there some Good recommend or is this just is this just shit and there's no perfect way of doing it
0: <laughs> well i think there is no perfect way of doing it and i think we have to make room for i mean there there are two parts of this so i've seen people who have followed you know protocols i have a very dear friend with with cancer and the number of things that have been she's been advised to do are just horrifying, mm. right? Like pull your hair out, insulting, horrifying. There's a reason that cancer, that chemo and radiation exist, yeah. um, and there's a re- I mean, there's a reason why you develop an autoimmune condition and someone puts you on an immunosuppressive drug because that you know medicine is medicine, mm. food is not. And I think we have to make room for people who are going to try to experiment and find things that don't work for them. And is there a possibility that by, you know, modifying the way that that you eat, you might feel differently, you might feel better, surely? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not your fault if you don't, and it's not your fault if you can't afford to Feed yourself in the way that some, you know, prescriptive, really unaware of consequences um, protocol is being presented. I think I think there has to be room for humans that are going to want to do, you know, all of the things to heal themselves, even though we know, you know, know yeah. that it won't it won't be the thing. We gotta there like I will never discount a human who tells me that they don't feel right and want to try something. Certainly in my field, I, I notice when people are on pseudo elimination or elimination diets, oftentimes it starts with one thing mm-hmm. and they'll come back and be like, oh my gosh, I feel like a new human. And then a few weeks later it's like, oh, I feel like myself again. I'm gonna get rid of something else. And then they feel good. And then the yes. list gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And the feel better is related to self-care, right? It's the I'm actively doing this thing to make myself feel better. And because the act of engaging in these practices that feel like this is, you know, this is going to be the thing that's going to make me feel better. Mm for a lot of humans, it does. But it's just transient, because it's not actual. It's not it's not actually about the food.
1: Yeah, I think I think we we definitely don't give our we don't give our mind enough credit when it comes to the its ability to change how we feel. Um, mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. its ability to change our flipping physiological makeup, like there. Are, <laughs> and, and it's ridiculous. And the problem, I, I'd love to talk more about it publicly but the problem is is that it often gets twisted so much in terms of like oh well it's fine mm-hmm. then you can just think yourself better no no, 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 no that's not what i'm saying i'm mm-hmm. saying <laughs> so, like there are there are people who like through meditation and they can like physiologically change their heart rate and their blood pressure like this is mm-hmm. a real thing like the mind is incredibly powerful like you can you can you can you can sort out things like phantom limb pain by by tricking the mind by Putting a mirror right. in between the real the limb that's still there and the limb that's not like just the fact that all this kind of stuff exists and works and is evidence-based is like is amazing. Um, Absolutely, but it has its limits, and it's really—I it, find it's a really hard thing to address when it comes to things like confirmation bias and placebo for for people who who might not fully understand those those phrases. That's some of the stuff you were talking about in regards to. If you, if you think that what you're doing is going to make you feel better, it often can, um, which can be kind of described as the placebo effect. Um, but also confirmation bias is when you... When something, when you change something, and you think it's going to have a positive effect, you look for things that are going on in your life that prove that it has. Um, not deliberately, it can complete. It's often completely unconscious or subconscious. But it's like with elimination diets, you can remove one item, and then you might start feeling better due to who knows what reason. You might also have changed something else in your life, as you said. It's like a caring and it's a wellness thing, and other things, other behaviors come with that. But you also then it confirms it in your head because you start thinking about times when you had meals that had that item in it in the past mm-hmm. and you justify the elimination based on that and you confirm what you believe to be true and so when you stop feeling good again you're like well it can't be that thing because that thing i took out i should have taken out maybe i'm just not being strict enough it is exactly what you're saying and but th- but that's my worry is that i don't want to discount the impact and the benefit that things can have in regards to placebo effect and confirmation bias. I mean, I did some of my undergraduate research on chronic pain, and personally, I think a lot of the pain medication we use is <laughs> very much <laughs> related and works in that manner. Um, but that doesn't mean we should just refuse to give anyone pain medication. Um, so it's right. how do we how do we address that stuff whilst acknowledging that confirmation bias and placebo shouldn't be just like disregarded as sometimes an okay thing? But I just it always mm-hmm. sits me on the line of well, if it's if you're knowingly misleading even if it's with a good cause or with a good mm-hmm. like i for a good idea it just it just doesn't sit right with me and it's so i know you're not saying that it does but it just yeah no no, no.
0: it's one it's one of the things i actually i one thing that i really appreciate is you doing things like calling charlatan doctors, charlatans mm-hmm. um particularly because these are humans that Mark Hyman, I'm talking to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like doesn't actually care, no. right? Like he's he's taken everything to the bank. Mm. And
1: I mean, even just the other day, I found on his website, that his, his, his newest, I think it might be his newest or one of the recent books about the 10 day detox diet stuff that he does. Oh my gosh. I mean, first off, we are taught in medical school that detoxing is not a thing in that manner. Cause it's because not. Cause it's not. Cause it's just physiologically impossible. Um mm-hmm. But, and he will claim that the, the word detox is just used as the word. It's not that it's a real detox, but he will still sell you a supplement met regime on his website that costs like $150 for 10 days mm-hmm. that in the blurb says recommended to take for life. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you, and I yeah. found that there. was it's like, It's diarrhea forever. I was like, what? Like how, I mean, mm-hmm. for, how, how much money do you think people have? like to waste on on something that doesn't do anything to start with. Right. Sorry. Carry on.
0: <laughs> well, but and that's the, that's the frightening thing. And that to me is one of the reasons why I mean, you you spoke about this a little bit about the ways that I try to show up on social media. Of course, I'm here for eating disorder recovery, but I I and and body image healing, but I talk about chronic illness. I talk about disability. I talk about some of my intersecting identities because people are being really and truly harmed by like detox for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It's a a ridiculous thing. And people will feel as though they are not doing, you know, doing it right if they don't buy in to the next whatever um it's like coconut oil what was it like seven years ago was like the thing everyone needed coconut oil and it was like going to reverse alzheimer's like i remember i was working for a doctor who was talking about like really you should be talking about coconut oil with all of your clients And like ah okay um but it's not even like coconut oil unless you're on the keto bandwagon is is pretty out of favor now it's just like w- food trends are so weird and so not scientifically relevant at all
1: but there's one thing that is a constant throughout in my opinion small plug the use of food as medicine it doesn't matter what it is Amen. like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what year we're talking about it doesn't matter whether we go back to the when was it I've, um the it was the 1800s with william banting he's where the banting diet comes from um he was he was a uh, uh someone in victorian england who went on a what he considered to be a low carb diet lost a bunch of weight and then wrote a book a pamphlet the first ever weight loss pamphlet in the uk <laughs> um but I mean, it, it. There's a consistency there, right? Like it doesn't matter whether it's low carb, doesn't matter whether it's carnivore, which is horrific at the moment. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's detoxing. Doesn't matter whether it's celery juice, which won't die but should do. Um, it should do. It's all yeah. It's it's all the 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 concept of food healing. It's all the concept of mm-hmm. food preventing, or mm-hmm. or you know it food as medicine it is all that concept that so I, th- I think it yeah i think it can sometimes be frustrating with the changing stuff but i think that addressing the overarching theme is still still super helpful i mean i don't yep that just as as some for people who might be listening who might be now getting really down and feeling like <laughs> everything's shit like there is there is still you're doing good <laughs> yes yeah
0: i think Truthfully, like food food as medicine is, you know, the mantra right now. And while these vessels, these bodies of ours are fallible, we're not quite as precious as, you know, flash media makes it seem. Like where the, the food decisions that we make, um, if we are fortunate enough to have access to food, and a variety of different foods, um, they're, just, they're actually not as important mm. as taking care of ourselves in a much more holistic fashion. So when I think about uh, like humans who are super distracted by wanting to eat perfectly or eat clean or whatever it is, um, the amount of physiological stress mm. that is mounted by preoccupation with eating ideally in in my opinion outweighs any benefit um from modifying a diet by like as per someone else's series of recommendations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean that's very similar to the um it's very similar to the concepts of deliberate weight loss as well. The the, the conversation around that. Mm-hmm
0: well, and the other side of this is like everything, right? Every diet, be it in the context of heal thyself or otherwise also has the annual like a smaller body is a healthier version of a yeah. body, which is just not a true statement at all. Yeah. Um, and that, is, that is, I think one of the more annoying ways that the diet industry is is presenting itself right now it's saying like do all of these things to enhance your health but like the comeback is and you will if you do this well be in a smaller body
1: yeah yeah weight weight loss is the (laughs) even though food is medicine is often the logic the 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 Mm. sometimes hidden because it has been more hidden recently it's turned into health in quotes rather than Mm. weight Mm -hmm. loss um, it's become a little bit more insidious, but the end goal is always: has it worked or not? Well, it's worked if I've lost weight. Right. It doesn't matter whether it was coconut right. oil that I introduced into my diet to somehow do something, just just forget the whole you know cardiovascular disease stuff. Like it's it's fine, um, or whether it's the carnivore diet to try and cure my autoimmune disease. If I've like if I've if I've cured my autoimmune disease, which you have not a thing, just to clarify. Um, but if you had but you'd put weight on no one would do that diet that's the that's the scary thing right it's mm-hmm. like i've asked this question before and people don't like the question but it's the question of like if you were if you had to choose between being unhealthy and thin or fat and healthy again not that there is a direct just you know nuance here but if you had to choose between the mm-hmm. two which one would you choose uh and and the fact that you hesitate the royal you the fact that you hesitate and don't instantly say, well, fat and healthy, because obviously health is what we're claiming to be aiming for here, right? right. The fact that there's a hesitation proves that this isn't about health. Like this is just, health is the excuse a lot of the time right. around, around our desire for thinness. A
0: hundred million percent, hundred million percent. And this is not an easy planet to live on and be in a fat body. Yeah. I mean, it's not an easy planet to live on and be in a body, period. Um, but it's not surprising that folks would answer a question like that and say, I would rather be unhealthy and thin. Um, and, I, you know, I think about that and I write about that sometimes I, as... Uh, I I am very fortunate to have the followers that I do on social media, um, and I'm a good writer, and I know what I'm talking about about the things that I speak. Um, and I am thin, and I am reward like I'm rewarded for my my Earth suit. Hmm. And I think about you know my neurologists. I, I don't see this neurologist anymore, but I I worked with a woman who wanted me to talk with other humans that had progressive ms about weight loss as though that would improve outcomes of anything and how do i say i, I fired this this neurologist quickly but what do you say to a person who is in a, a wheelchair all day long um how, how do we modify their body what am i aiming for mm. with offering any sort of recommendation a lot around that for it fortunately that's not that's not my game but the fact that there are really educated practitioners peddling weight loss as a disease augmenting something yuck
1: yeah well it's because we 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 uh, we, we refuse to admit that weight loss isn't a health-promoting behavior. We we treat it as a health-promoting behavior, completely ignoring the fact mm-hmm. that it in and of itself, I mean, there are, with nuance, the vast majority of the time, it in and of itself doesn't improve anything. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> again, I say nuance because there is nuance to that statement. However, the act of weight loss, especially when we look holistically, isn't a health promoting behavior. You might do stuff that is health promoting that might lead to weight loss, but that's just a side effect. That's a byproduct mm-hmm. that may or may not mm-hmm. occur, but doesn't change the vast majority of the time, doesn't change the health change, doesn't, doesn't impact whether or not you've improved your right. health. Like, right. so, like um, so what, what health promoting behaviors could you possibly be advising somebody in a wheelchair with progressive MS that would actually benefit them health wise and guarantee because you have to guarantee if you're going to be prescribing someone like this mm-hmm. yeah and guarantee sustained weight loss like they don't exist
0: but it's not a thing yeah. it's not a thing so
1: it's yeah uh, just yeah we it's I, I i'm 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 becoming more and more passionate about The challenging this personal responsibility rhetoric when it comes to when it comes to health and weight, and I think that, I think that health promoting behavior, weight as a health promoting behavior, or weight loss as a health promoting behavior, comes a lot from the personal responsibility stuff as well. And I I think it's all just linked. Mm -hmm. Like there's just you can find these pathways that it's it's kind of like, and I hate the the phrase the root cause because it makes me sound like a functional medic and they're you know charlatans, but. It is a bit like that, where you are honestly looking back to, well, where does this actually come from? It's mm-hmm. like if we stop treating health as a personal responsibility, we'll stop looking at fat people as lesser. We'll stop con- thinking that they have done it to themselves. We'll stop, therefore, advising them to to, to just do it and ignoring the impact that privilege has on body size. Will like it just all mm-hmm. just filters... I, I'm talking too much, but it just fills us down. No, but I mean,
0: this—it's—it's the it's system. This is—I I imagine this is how you were trained in med school. Mm-hmm. It's the same way I was trained, going through my dietetic experience. So it requires, you know, there's the original training, and then coming to a place of saying that does not feel right for me. I am looking to something else, and acknowledging that like we can be pseudo famous in our own little spaces and we are not, you know, 70 plus bill that's in the States, like 70 plus billion dollars that the diet wellness industry kind of pump through the veins of our culture and the next layer. So there's that $70 billion that's actually spent and what happens when your friend Sally does a thing and then tells your other friend Kim about how it worked. And then they tell me that I should do this thing for my MS because it worked for their cousin's cat. (laughs) Um, and so like the wellness rhetoric recycles itself over and over and over again. Yeah.
1: Something else I wanted to, um, to ask you about, because I think we often ignore just how important eating disorders are in this conversation um hmm. and i think i i think i saw something the other day i think i shared it on my stories I, do, I don't think it was yours i'm going i could pretend it was yours but it was someone else that said, that wrote something um around the fact of uh that, that healthcare providers need to stop pretending that they that people with eating disorders aren't part of their audience um mm-hmm and stop pretending that they're able to it was me it was you it wasn't me i wasn't sure see thank you (laughs) i wasn't sure that it was you So there we go even more reason to go and follow your page because you post some amazing stuff um see compliments no one likes them um (laughs) uh, so yeah i think yeah well then you said something along the lines of that we need to stop pretending that we that we don't um our message doesn't get to people with eating disorders um, and treating it like we don't need to consider it, we don't need to think about it because it's not the audience we're aiming for and it's not our fault if people come across it. How how do you, with your work with with people who are dealing with eating disorders and living through them and mm-hmm. hopefully recovering from them as well, um, how do you see, what what would you like to see when it comes to this space for them? <laughs>
0: I mean, mostly things that are impossible. Um, but I think it would be so lovely for, and I'm, I'm not talking about space right now as in virtual space. I'm talking, and perhaps I am, because we've done amazing things without seeing each other in the last year. So maybe it's now it's all virtual. Um, I... I hate to think, I shudder to think about the number of humans who have been cared for by people who don't have any awareness of what they're actually struggling with, perhaps because of the body size, body shape and size that they live in, um, because of the stereotype of, quote, what an eating disorder looks like, as though there is one way to appear with an eating disorder that is a total misnomer and it's a completely incorrect statement um eating disorders should be scary for people who are taking who are working in the wellness anyone who identifies as a health or wellness professional is right to be frightened of eating disorders because they are the most lethal of all mental illnesses Mm -hmm. these are significant and life-altering diseases um this is why it's important that there are experts right this is like you are a surgeon i'm not ask i don't i mean there are I, i'm not going to go to you for a dermatological exam although i'm sure you're fine at that no
1: no don't send me photos, please
0: um but like if i needed surgery i'd be fine coming to you but i think with regard to um particularly the omnipresent messages about like health and taking care of ourselves, um and the fact that humans with eating disorders are, I mean, these are brilliant humans, superbly resourceful. Um and many of them tend to be super compliant and super like will show up and do all of the things. Um, and it is possible for all of us as healthcare providers to be asking questions, to be willing to be wrong, which is another thing that I like about you, sorry. Um, we don't all get to be experts of everything and that's really okay. I think the faster we open our like ourselves to acknowledging that we're not all gonna be experts at everything, but we are willing to learn on behalf of the people we take care of or refer them out to people who know how to serve them best in the moment i want to invite people into my circle and i suppose right now i'm talking mostly like to personal trainers i have trainers in my community that i refer clients to that refer clients to me um because i mean i've had personal trainers try to tell me things about what i should be eating and that is the end of that relationship um but it's, it's just it's important that we acknowledge that eating disorders are here. And if one in four people who diet go on to develop a clinically significant eating disorder, we are talking about an enormous segment of our population. Mm-hmm. And so if we're not asking these questions and we're interacting with people um, as, as health experts, we're we're missing Mm -hmm. we're missing people
1: yeah it's 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 something that is on my mind quite consistently um whenever i am dealing with stuff online um and i think it's one of the things that pissed me off the most about the daily mail stuff um was that it's like i just i know just how harmful before and after imaging is and can be to people who are have put thinness on a pedestal and especially people who have eating disorders um and i know that i have i hope i have built a a level of trust with people who follow me who have eating disorders i know i have because i had a message from somebody after that article going i saw the article and my ed voice told me some stuff and i had to challenge it because i know who you are and i was like i'm like do you know what i mean like that that hurt that upsets me the Big most deal. right that i'm like this is not that this is just one reason why it's not okay um and there was something that i wanted to ask around the the concept of food as medicine because i'm aware that in certain um i know that this is perhaps more common in inpatient treatment of eating disorders um, specific eating disorders like anorexia nervosa, where it's a, just in terms of the manner in which the eating disorder manifests, um, the the concept of food as medicine is used to help in recovery. Um, mm-hmm. By treating food as medicine, by treating food as the thing mm-hmm. that is directly keeping you alive, it can be a good mindset to have. Um, mm-hmm. I've also come across the aspect of it, of it potentially having to be unlearned As somebody progresses throughout their recovery, because it Mm -hmm. has potential to be, um, to have the opposite effect, to be harmful to that. I wondered whether you, whether that's something you agree with. Because again, I'm not the expert in this and I want to be as careful as I can in my wording around this stuff. I think it's important to, to challenge the food is medicine stuff, but I don't want to challenge it in a way that's harmful to people who need that. And I I try and caveat it each time, but I wondered whether you could speak on that topic of how you see that.
0: So I, I think firstly, I will say I, I very much am of the mindset that all eating disorders are restrictive eating disorders, regardless of the way a human body looks. And obviously, there might be a stereotypical depiction of what an eating disordered body looks like, and nutritional rehabilitation is important for anyone in the context of eating disorder recovery. And so, you know, I get pushed back when I, I talk about, you know, and I do, I do the same caveat thing, acknowledging that if, you know, you're recovering from an eating disorder, food is, food is medicine, and that so there is in some ways, there's kind of a short-lived experience of food being like the medicine, like the, the primary intervention, and nothing can really happen until you are effectively and adequately nourished. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, is, that is true. Again, that is separate and away from like what body body size entirely or diagnoses totally separate. Um, and I, I always get curious with my clients about what it means to view food as medicine versus food as pleasure versus food as a vehicle for connection versus food as, you know, in next chapters of your life, how would you like to interact with food? Because staying in that food is, is medicine, mentality, to me is not actually the, and this is one of the reasons for, you know, when somebody's in more intensive treatment, um, food can be medicine because you're not really doing a heck of a lot around relationship with food. But when someone is in a position to actually be curious about their relationship to food, then the food is medicine dogma leaves Mm. in, in my book.
1: That's no, that's that is honestly really helpful because I I feel like I haven't actually asked that question of someone who knows what they're talking about yet. <laughs> I feel like I've had messages around it, giving me little bits of insight and things. Um But uh but yeah, that's you. And I feel like it's something I need to keep challenging myself on in regards to eating disorders as a look. Like I know in my head that that's not a thing, mm. but it's but or my, or maybe I know it in my heart. I don't know which way round. But I just like it's something that is still i still struggle to comprehend sometimes in regards to because i'm not someone who has had one clinically diagnosed mm. i'm not an expert in it i only know what i get taught at medical school mm. um Ha-da. and yeah and my ongoing you know i uh, placements in in inpatient psychiatry wards and things which were very uh, they were very insightful but they were again i was still a medical student they weren't necessarily yeah. perfect um Sure. and also the fact that even something because i was going to ask you what you think about this the fact that uh bmi doesn't have to be a criteria when it comes to, to anorexia anymore however it's now labeled atypical and yeah exactly so so to me i was like originally when i knew about that i was like okay cool that's great like there's another diet i didn't click on the fact that atypical was a problematic word in and of itself yeah yeah um, so, <laughs> well
0: on display in the dsm for everyone
1: uh yeah i don't know how to keep i I'm just gonna maybe it's just a i'm saying out loud i'm gonna keep challenging it because i think the way i talked about it in a previous podcast as well i had people messaging me um uh very very accurately in regards to just perhaps picking up on some subconscious bias that i had in regards to the way i was talking about it um which very important um but I think it's really interesting, and I, not to massively big up my ego, but it's like if I'm still not very good at talking about that stuff, and it's something I think about a lot, uh, yeah, I can only imagine how unhelpful and how harmful the way it gets talked about is. Quite, quite. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really a quite. question, <laughs> that's more of yeah, a statement. A sta- I agree that's with a you. statement there. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, Look, I think um I th- I th- I think we could talk for an awful long time. Mm-hmm. Um but I feel like it's been about an hour already, which th- that was quick. Um, it was. Uh and I hope I haven't talked too much during that. I feel like I'm I should be talking less than 50% at least of these podcasts. Um so I, I hope that why I was maybe uh, who knows. Um, it's your fault. You're good at asking questions and giving compliments and then I have to try and defend my compliments. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. no it's Apologies. fine you don't have to apologize um i would like to end uh because i think this is i think this will be a perfect way with you specifically as well um i have like a set of three questions sure that, that um that are nutrabilics related Love uh it. and i think this will be good um so the first question is uh what is the worst piece of nutrabilics you have believed yourself personally you may have already covered the way we've been talking about
0: that I needed to eat organ meat to heal myself. Organ meat. That's the worst, just because it is awful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it's coming back round again as well with mm-hmm. the carnival diet. It's coming mm-hmm. back round. Not <laughs> I mean I quite like liver. I just yeah, no. no, not a fan? No no,
0: not even a little bit. <laughs> Mm -mm. I mean, it's
1: it's quite a British thing to have, like, a steak and kidney pie as well. Like, that's quite normal. (laughs) We wouldn't eat tripe, though. I mean, that's not not that
0: common. It just sounds not good.
1: i also don't want to have, don't want to end up with vitamin a vitaminosis or whatever as well from eating too much liver i don't know that's no not you thing. don't no no <laughs> i was eating so much of it at one point because i really liked it and, and kind of thinking hang on a sec maybe i should just keep an eye on this because vitamin a doesn't leave the body very easily it <laughs> doesn't. doesn't it's one of those
0: stinky fat soluble vitamins
1: yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. all right second question um, is what is the most ridiculous piece of you have seen recently?
0: There was, there is some Twitter thing happening about oat milk and mm-hmm. like being broken down into maltose and how drinking oat milk is the same thing as drinking a can of Coke, <laughs> which is not, <laughs> um,
1: all carbs is, are sugar, people. This isn't uh, it, this is the a basic end, concept. At <laughs> the end of the
0: day, this is how it all goes. <clears throat> um, no judgment, but that's that one got me. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I wasn't expecting that to be what the oat milk was going to be about. I thought it was I going to be something interview. about... <laughs> I
0: just did an interview about it. Or intermittent fasting because Gwyneth Paltrow says it's okay. Because yeah, yeah. Noom... Not Noom. Because it's cause
1: intuitive it's, fasting now. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> so, before you get angry, your blood pressure is, is important. Let's move on to the last one. Um, so the last one was, if you could pick just one, I know this is hard, but if you could pick just one piece of mutabolics, that you could just magically just click your fingers and make everybody immune from believing, what would it be?
0: If we could throw away the concept of um, anti-inflammatory eating, I would be very delighted. Yeah? Mm-hmm
1: that something from a from a personal vendetta or a just a general
0: both both um, inflammation happens in the body right if you're allergic to a thing your body will will mount a response i i think these aip protocols are wreaking havoc on people that i care yeah. for great deep very deeply um, and They are, I mean, it's a really interesting thing. If you can tell everyone to not eat the same 16 foods and around the world that is supposed to be health promoting, that is ridiculous.
1: Mm. Yeah, I I, I feel like autoimmune disease is a whole nother podcast in and of itself in regards Mm. to just how complex and why, why Nutribolix is so latches on so well to autoimmune diseases it's Um, so hard
0: because autoimmune diseases are autoimmune diseases they're not nutritional conditions yeah Yeah. but it's so easy to be like but do a different thing with food and then they'll go away except mostly they will stay the same or mostly you'll be on medication that will help hopefully augment your experience of the disease
1: yeah like, look, if it's you know, if it's celiac disease, then then yes, gluten avoid that. There's however, a solution. <laughs> however, this isn't that that's not a justification to just, just yeah. I I feel like it's hard because they the whole the whole autoimmune diets and autoimmune protocols. I'm not fully aware of the ins and outs of the 16 food it's items It's more than 16. Kind of stuff, I'm sure. I was just saying as an example. <laughs> but it but what what I think. Personally, and this is a separate conversation, perhaps. I think it's a really interesting area of research around the way that our the way that our gut and food interacts with our immune system. Because there's some very valid conversations to be had there. Absolutely. But that's not justification to (laughs) to then eliminate transfer. Yeah. Yeah. So there are definitely there's some very interest. I think it's a bit like the whole eating and mental health, where it's really important to clarify and challenge a lot of the rhetoric that goes around. Mm -hmm at the same time, there's some really, really interesting research going on in regards to eating protocols and depression. Um, but it's like, I, the, the ability to talk about those in a way that isn't problematic has almost been ruined by the manner in which we talk about them every oh. other instance. Yep. Right. Yep.
0: <laughs> so and Mark has a big microphone and a bunch <laughs> of friends And a bunch of
1: friends. We we'll do a whole podcast on Mark Hyman. I promise. This is a uh, that that one that could be good. No, you don't want to. All right. Well, if I ever want to, I'll I'll say that I checked with you, and then I'll just do it by myself. Okay,
0: that's fine. I'll listen to it. I'm just not
1: going to hang out. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, I think we need to protect your mental health more than. (laughs) Appreciate it. Yep. So yeah, I look i think you're great i'm really glad that you that you came and chatted to me um i hope that when i'm editing this i don't see i've talked too much i have a feeling i may you're have done uh, <laughs> so. um but yeah thank you thank you for talking to me thank you um and and uh and keep doing what you're doing and i hope that i hope that things um i hope that things aren't as hard as you're necessarily anticipating them to be as things start opening up yeah um, me too yeah. We'll see. I, I hope that we'll I hope the things I the things surprise you. Let's let's go with that.
0: I'll take that.